There'll be spectacle, there'll be fantasy, there'll be daring do and stuff like you would never see. Ready a movie? Yeah, we're gonna be a movie starring everybody and me. There'll be heroes bold, there'll be comedy, and a lot of fuss that ends for us real happily. And we are going to start right here. Hello and welcome to another triple feature on the Rad Religion Broadcasting <laughs> Network. And I am your host, the mandated reporter, and frankly, I'm mortified. Mr. Mark Radelage, and tonight on the marquee of this here triple feature is The Power of the Dog, brought to you mm. by Netflix. The French Dispatch, directed by resident Hollywood kook Wes Anderson, currently available on PVOD. And finally, because Ronnie made me, Cop Shop. What? <laughs> Starring... <laughs> Uh, Gerard Butler, Frank Grillo, and Alexis Louder with Crowder. I, listen, uh, <laughs> I didn't make you, but I suggested it because I needed something else. <laughs> you didn't want to do three artsy-fartsy films in a row? You had licorice pizza down. I did. And you know, and you had like eight weeks to go see this movie and did not. Homie, let me tell you something. I ain't traveling 45 minutes to watch something called licorice pizza. <laughs> okay, so that's Ronnie Adams that you've seen. We are already joined by friends in our various social media. Gavin Napier weighing in on the power of the dog, saying it was a miserable, punishing movie, and I loved it. I we love you, it. Gavin. <laughs> Someday I'm going to re-air our conversation about There Will Be Blood. He uh, says, I got nothing on the other two. Well, Ronnie's got something on at least one of those. Yeah. Um, all right, so we are talking Power of the Dog from Netflix, and the reason why we're talking specifically at the about we're as ronnie indicated we were going to do licorice pizza but um that that came out like towards the end of it came out in limited release at the end of the year and then at the very end of december it went wide um and it then did not go wide because it did not come here it, it well wide distribution except for exactly where ronnie lives and <laughs> as um, much as i love you mark mm -hmm. i'm not traveling past the immediate vicinity of my home i get it to see licorice pizza. Listen, I had my thought was because so many of the movies of last year went PVOD within like a week of coming out. Some of them the same day. Like yeah. the Adams Family 2 was PVOD the same day. Yeah. Uh, I think Spencer, uh, which Alexis and I reviewed, was PVOD within like a few weeks of it coming out, like less than a month. So my point being that I had assumed that licorice pizza would be PVOD by the time we got around to reviewing it. And, you know, that one just got got past it. You know, I had to go see it in the theater, too. I think one day I was telling my wife, I was like, yeah, I, I got to go to the theater and go see this licorice pizza thing. Yeah, but um, you like crappy movies. I do. So um, we traded it out. And instead, we're doing one yeah. from also late last year that is available, Pivot, And that is Wes Anderson's The French Dispatch. We'll get to that momentarily. We're going to kick things off with The Power of the Dog. And I specifically wanted you on for this one for two mm. reasons. One relative to you it's a western i know you like the western i do like the western so i thought this would be a good one to talk with you and it wouldn't result in eight weeks of you screaming i hate you rattledge like everybody else does um <laughs> when have i done that so well it's a little exhausting i'm not gonna lie but the other reason is i mean cinderella <laughs> was the only one but you... oh my god <laughs> 
Oh my you, god, you, you even oh said, my god, Lynn. Oh my god, Lynn Roddy Adams. I, actually, you I, you even said, yeah, I deserve it on that one. I don't but, remember saying that, but yeah, you did. Uh, but also, we are trying <laughs> to uh, get more of these Oscar contenders, award winners, artsy fartsy films on the docket. You know, we can't just do Marvel all the time, and so this one in particular. Uh, was named one of the best films of 2021 by the American Film Institute. It received seven nominations at the 79th Golden Globe Awards, uh, winning Best wow. Motion Picture Drama, Best Supporting Actor Motion Picture for Smith McPhee, and Best Director for Campion, and 10 nominations at the 27th Critics' Choice Awards, including Best Picture. More than likely, it'll be, it'll, and I don't remember if they've announced them yet, I don't think so, um, it'll end up being nominated, if not winning, Best Picture, for 2021 so that's why we're going to talk about it and that's where we're going to begin um before i suggested we talk about this had you heard anything about power of the dog with this I actually, uh... I actually saw it on netflix uh okay and put it in my queue to watch it uh because it, it's 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 not a, it's not your typical western it's in the 20s mm-hmm. uh but it's still close enough or, or well 1919 i think it was mm-hmm. uh still close enough to that that change of the era that in your r- most, you know, like your really rural areas and states, they still lived like, you know, um, horse and buggy, you know, uh, kind of, kind of deal. Right. So, uh, well, I mean, like, of course they did because they were, you know, you had to be really rich to buy a car, but you know, they, it, there wasn't the gunslinger era, but it was close enough to where you might catch somebody carrying a, a six every once in a while, mm-hmm. but you know, but people still, you know, punch cattle and, uh, everything <laughs> sorry herded <cow>. no. <laughs> but uh but you know it was still a it's still a western absolutely in, in the in the in the very sense of the meaning of the meaning of the of, of the word so i've been telling the story lately of how i made my wife watch secretary and i ha- i didn't realize just how indie-rific it was because all i remembered about it was the BDSM and you know of course the still shot yeah like you do. part of the marketing of Maggie Gyllenhaal and you know in the bondage gear and whatnot I think the I think the <sighs> like the cover of the DVD for the longest time was her with the saddle and the carrot in her mouth um wow you don't remember that uh no no <laughs> <laughs> okay I don't when you when you're done now you know what you need to look up um but... uh... <laughs> Anyway, so I showed it to her and she was like, it, you know, because it had that indie feel to it, it definitely had that art house feel, despite its, you know, its subject matter. Um, she was like, I don't know, you pick the worst movies. Like, you always pick these, like, really indie, boring, artsy-fartsy movies. Mm. You know, my wife really is Peter Griffin when it comes to cinema. She's like, <laughs> I like the money pit. Um, <laughs> There's nothing wrong with the money pit. But you do have um, to have a little bit of culture every once in a while. Gavin's about to check out because his phone's dying. Gavin apparently never has a charged phone. But he says, <laughs> my phone is dying. Jesse Plemons' face bothers me. Have I a good hate show. to speak ill of him, but he does look like a <laughs> melted Matt Damon. <laughs> Thanks, uh, Gavin. Talk to you Friday night for the Royal Rumble. Anyway. Doing, buddy? Um, so the point that I was getting to with this is she watched The Power of the Dog with me. And this was not by choice. Mm-hmm. This was she you happened to be. I didn't make her. I asked her if I could put a movie on in the living room and she had the option. She could have stayed and read a book, which is what she normally does now, or she could have gone in the bedroom. She chose to stay on the couch and then she kept like the movie kept distracting her from the book. So she ended up watching the whole thing with me. And at the end, and this is the punchline to all of this, she looks at me. She was like, you literally just made me watch a gay cowboys eating pudding movie. 
Like it was literally gay cowboys. They literally ate pudding. <laughs> like, wow, Melissa, thanks. Wow. <laughs> Over 10 years of marriage, everybody. Everybody wow. says, like, how did she put up with you? Well, you, you found it goes out. both ways. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um, and that's the other thing I wanted to ask you because it was like, oh, let's watch the let's let's watch a western. And clearly all westerns are not created equal. When you found mm. out what this was, given your predilections and beliefs and whatnot, what was your what was your I thought? Other than out, I hate you rattledge. I didn't find out what it was until he was laying naked in a field with old boy's <laughs> scarf, you know, and right. I was like, Oh, Oh, that's why he's so pissed all the time. Because <laughs> it's the nineteen um, twenties, and he's so gay. He 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 is he is gay, and it's the nineteen twenties, and he's a cowboy. Right? They do not accept that, and he was in love with his predecessor, his teacher, his his mentor. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did not say I hate you, Radlich, or anything like that, because <laughs> uh, I was still kind of like, huh? Look at that. You know, kind of deal. And then and then he went south of the border with the scarf. And I was like, no, look at that. Don't look at that. <laughs> um and uh but it was just like one of those things that was like given you know what I watch and and you know, like you said, beliefs and everything else, like this was an intri- like a, an intriguing part of the story for me because yeah. why was he so angry all the time? Why did he hate that the why did he hate his new sister in law? Right. Why did he hate his uh, step nephew or whatever you want to call it? He absolutely despised it, but he saw himself in the nephew mm-hmm. and what the nephew was becoming. So he wanted to toughen him up and make him, a little, you know, well, he, he didn't want to toughen him up. He just wanted to basically right. want to break his neck. Well, this is, like, I, I, we got to get into the plot synopsis real quick, but yeah, this, is sorry. Less, this is less about, it's funny because I heard the critically acclaimed guys talk about this and they very much focused on, like the toxic masculinity subtext. And I said, this is absolutely a meditation on masculinity and toughness and whatnot. I don't know if I'd go so far as to call it toxic, but I guess that's that's up for debate. Um, But the other thing, you know, it's, it's more of a meditation on masculinity than it is a meditation on latent homosexuality. But homosexuality is a part of, is a part of the subtext. Yeah. Um, and, and I did find that interesting. So let's just be so we don't go too long without talking about it. Sure. 1925, uh, Maritana, wealthy ranch owner brothers, Phil and George Burbank, meet widow and inn owner Rose Gordon during a cattle drive. The kind-hearted George is quickly taken with Rose. I mean, it's Kirsten Dunst. Who wouldn't be? <laughs> While the volatile Phil, much influenced by his late mentor, Bronco Henry. That was his name. <laughs> Shut up, Mark. Shut up, Mark. Shut up, Mark. Shut up, Mark. Breathe. Shut your mouth, Mark. Henry. Oh, <laughs> son, Peter, for his lisp and effeminate manner. Mm-hmm. George and Rose soon marry. Rose used George's money to send her son to college to study medicine and surgery while she moves into the Burbank ranch house. Phil takes a disliking to her, believing she married George for his money. His rough ways and taunting manner unnerve her. George organizes a dinner party with his parents and the governor so they can meet Rose and hear her play their new piano. Rose is unable to play more than a few notes of the Radsky March and is further humiliated when Phil belittles her. She begins drinking alcohol, something she was previously opposed to. By the time Peter comes to stay at the ranch for the summer break, Rose has become an alcoholic. Phil and his men taunt Peter 
and he sequesters himself in his room, dissecting animals and studying diseases. In a secluded clearing, Phil masturbates with Bronco Henry's handkerchief. Peter enters the clearing and finds a stash of magazines with Bronco Henry's name on them depicting nude men. He observes Forgot Phil, about that. He observes Phil bathing in a pond with a handkerchief around his neck. Phil notices him and chases him off. To torment Rose further, Phil begins to show decency to Peter, offering to plate him a lasso from Rawhide and teach him how to ride a horse. Save a horse, ride a cowboy. Peter heads oh out on his... What? It's a real song. I know it is. <laughs> Peter heads out on his own one day and finds a dead cow, presumably dead from anthrax infection. He puts on gloves and cuts pieces of the cow's hide. On a fencing job, Peter and Phil corner and kill a rabbit, and Phil gets an open wound on his hand. Afterward, Peter tells Phil about finding the body of his alcoholic father, who had hanged himself and cutting him down himself. Seeing how much time her son spends with Phil, Rose's alcoholism worsens. Upon learning about Phil's policy about of burning the hides he does not need for himself, Rose defiantly gives them to local Native American traders who thank her with a pair of gloves. She then collapses from her rapid alcohol consumption, and George tends to her. With no hides to finish Peter's lasso, Phil is despondent and attempts to lash out at Rose before being stopped by George. Peter calms him down by offering him the hide he cut from the dead cattle, but he does not mention that the animal was diseased. Phil is touched and promises Peter they'll have a much better relationship from now on. They spend the night in the barn finishing the rope. Phil's wound in the hide mixing in the water that softens the hide. Phil tells Peter how Bronco Henry saved his life by lying body to body with him in a bedroll during freezing winter. Phil does not answer when Peter asks if they were naked. Then they share a cigarette. Oh, yes. This I remember distinctly, the sexy cigarette sharing. Yeah, it was weird. You say weird. He was a kid. It was... He, he was in medical school. I know, but clearly he still looked like he was 12. Adult male. He still looked like he was 12. Whatever. It was sexy cigarette sharing. When Phil does not show up for breakfast the following day, George finds him sickened in bed, his wound heavily infected. Delirious Phil looks for Peter to give the finished lasso, but George takes Phil away to the doctor before he can hand it over. George is later seen picking out a coffin while Phil's body is prepared for burial. At the funeral, the doctor tells George that Phil most likely died from anthrax, puzzling him as Phil was always careful to avoid diseased cattle. Having not gone to the funeral, Peter opens a book of common prayer to the burial rite and then reads Psalm 2220, Deliver my soul from the sword, my darling, from the power of the dog. Later, he puts his finished lasso under his bed with gloved hands. He walks down the hall and stops at the window and watches George and now sober Rose return home and embrace. He turns away and smiles. All right. So, I can see why this might be up there for best picture of the year. It's a very pretty looking picture. Um, it's somber in tone. Mm -hmm. I very. think I am. Um, I think that again, the Benedict Cumberbatch character, um, one could say, is framed as the antagonist. And certainly, there are some like the critically acclaimed guys sort of look at his behavior and you know describe it as toxic. Uh, but I, I don't know if I agree with that. I think, I think toughening up men for a world that is, you know, constantly moving uphill and, you know, providing hurdles isn't the worst thing ever. And I think the parts of his personality that are, you know, that, that are in dispute here that, you know, that are antagonistic is that he's, you know, jealous and frustrated, by his brother marrying this woman but i don't 
but it, but it's such a human common thing that I don't know if that's sufficiently antagonistic enough to make him the villain of this picture. He, I do feel like he doesn't do anything in this movie nearly bad enough to draw that kind of ire that other critics seem to think he deserves. Well, yeah, I, I, yes. Okay, yes. Um, I've got some chatters in my in, in here. Uh, okay. Yeah, that came in at the wrong time of this. Uh, no, are they just, chatting on what we're talking about or they were like yeah oh, they're like oh, what the, wait can what? you share them on the screen i cannot oh. <laughs> no 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 no. don't be sorry don't be sorry keep chatting away <laughs> I, I i i wish i could because it's really funny freedom then i want to um, well if you're not uh, going to comment i want to hear what they're commenting on right i'm commenting <laughs> uh i'm just trying to type out something here uh but so basically, it was like one one of my buddies, Hamfield. He said, "Dang, Automod blocking me from talking about what the stream was was about when I came in." Which he put BDSM, which is not. And then uh, somebody says, uh, "Wow, I came in through an interesting time. All I heard was gay cowboys." <laughs> I'm like, "No, it's a movie review. It's a movie review, you know." Uh, but uh, but yeah, uh, it's. Um, uh, I, I unfortunately can't share the stream yard what they're saying, but it's really funny. Okay. Um, but the thing about it is, is like, um, I think people are having a hard time. All right. So I am a big, I am a, oh man, I hate the term toxic masculinity because in my world, there are, there are guys who are masculine who are not complete douchebags. Okay. I, I get why you might hate toxic. It's a valid term to describe certain kinds of behavior. It's not a valid term. To certain douchebag is a valid term to describe that behavior, <laughs> okay. not toxic masculinity. I mean, some so, of us prefer a more elevated vocabulary, but whatevs. <laughs> well, I mean, if you're going to talk about that, it's not, it doesn't deserve an elevated vocabulary. Okay. It deserves that, you know, you call it what it is. Thing about it is, is, you know, I was raised, you know, you know, hang on, let me, let me just stop in for like half a second. I'm not saying all masculine behavior is toxic. That's the part that I disagree. But the thing with. about I'm it is, nowadays there are, things, there, there are things that toxic masculinity is supposed to specifically be describing, and I think that's a perfectly good term to describe it. Go you ahead. said supposed to, okay, and I agree with that. You said supposed to, but when you say the term toxic masculinity mm -hmm. anymore, it is a broad term for any kind of masculine behavior right. that a that a that a man. Um, a man shows yeah, a man's a, a, mere a, presence and existence his mere presence if i open the door for somebody right oh i can do it myself that's toxic masculinity yeah sure. no it's not it's me being a gentleman you right. know chivalry is not dead um but the thing about it is, is I, I i get it you know um so that's why i kind of separate that myself from that term thing about it is is like um that like you know back then you you could not live that lifestyle, the homosexual lifestyle, and not have some sort of detrimental backlash such as mm -hmm. death, you know. Um, and so they, you know, he he was just raised to be a, a, a cowboy. You got to learn to rope and ride, man. Be, be tough, you know. It, and that's just like, who he is. It's like the description of like the wrestling locker room. You know, wrestling yeah. is a very masculine thing. Um, and, you know, and, and there's a lot of behaviors that go along with being masculine, which have nothing 
to do with one sexual preference. Right. But boy, and, do the yes, two get that... intertwined a lot. And, you know, one is disallowed by the other, which is, you know, hopefully something yeah. society, societally wise we can move away from. But, you know, we're not all the way there yet. Well, you and said is... what I, you, you said what I was I, what I was trying to get across. OK, one does not define the other. Yes. OK, so one does not define the other. And so he sees, but he's also raised in the era um, that where he saw the young boy being what he was raised not to be. Right. And still having that self-loathing of himself and seeing the young boy and loathing that boy. He, he has a line in the movie, don't let your mother turn you into a sissy. Exactly. Which I Which think is... people hear and go, oh. We shouldn't call any behavior sissy behavior. I, I don't know. I think if you shelter people, I mean, let's not even call it masculine or feminine or effeminate behavior. If you shelter people and you never let them deal with adversity, yeah. they are going to become thin-skinned and, and not prevail when okay. society goes uphill on you. I'm going to stop walking on eggshells. Go ahead. This is the way I believe. Not everybody deserves a trophy. Sure. If you came in second place, you came in second place. If it's a little league, you might still get a pizza party or a snow cone. Deal with it. You don't get the biggest trophy, or you may not get a trophy. Mm-hmm. You know what that taught me? To try harder next time. Right. That's what my my dad would come up and say, hey, son, it's okay. You did a good job. you got to just give it more next time. Your whole team does. All right, dad, let's go. You know, and if I was out there jerking around and just not doing anything, he'd yell at me. Hey, get your head in the game. I teach I teach my children it's okay to cry. It's okay to cry when you're yeah. sad. Yeah. But you know, but just because you're crying and you're sad doesn't mean you should just give up and roll on the floor and die and, you know, and that's the end of life. My dad would always try to make us laugh when we cry. Mm-hmm. You know, like uh if I fell down as a kid, he'd be like, "Come over here and I'll pick you up." Mm-hmm. And even as a kid I'd be like, "That makes no sense." Right. And then he would be like, and then he would actually, you know, he would, he would get us thinking about it to get our mm-hmm. mind off what hurt. And he'd come over and say, Hey, are you okay? Yeah. Well, this hurts. It's okay to be upset that it hurts. Sure. Let's take care of it. Yep. I've, are, I've can often, you walk? I've often can said you, to my son, I understand yeah. you're in pain. It's okay to be in pain and cry. Also walk it off. Walk it off. And that's what we would do. We'd get up, walk. We'd have our little cry, get up, walk it off. Yep. You know what I mean? And then, you know, it's just one of those things where like perseverance. Yeah, I I, I I think when I hear don't let your mom turn you into a sissy, what I'm really hearing the Benedict Cumberbatch saying in an indelicate way is learn to persevere. Yeah, these guys are going to make fun of you no matter what. And if you if you let if you if you lay down and let them kick you, that's what they're going to do. If you get up and you start kicking back, they're going to stop. Eventually, they're going to get bored. Or they're going to, or, or they're going to learn to respect you and what you do. Sure. Let's say an entire like chat room full of people will keep making fun of the fact that you don't like horror movies. You just go. (laughs) And now you like horror movies. (laughs) You just, you know, maybe you got to give them a shot. Maybe you got to tell those, you know, or even better. What if an entire chat room full of people said you shouldn't like the big bang theory. And maybe you do an entire podcast with your wife telling those people to go fuck right the fuck off. Oh, (laughs) Hey now. I'm now, just saying. I'm being very general. Here, but here's the deal. I keep forgetting to put the 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 mature audiences God, thing on. Tell me beforehand that I won't curse. Jesus. Oh no, it's my Marian fault. Um, I'm gonna get but, demonetized anyway. 
<laughs> no, <laughs> but um, it, it, you know, I for, I'm with you on the on the Big Bang Theory. I like the Big Bang Theory. Anybody that doesn't, whatever. I like it. I think it's funny. But I mean, you know, what, disagree, agree, whatever. I don't mm-hmm. care uh, as far as you know what's going on. But um, you know, that's that's how I viewed it. Yeah, he's he's teaching the kid how to persevere. Now, was there a genuine hatred in the beginning? Absolutely. I really think because he thought that the that uh, Kirsten Dunst was was marrying his brother for his money, he hated both of them. And you knew right. he could, you could I, tell he I, loathed her. Yeah, well, that's the, the thing. very like, bone. Oh, I, I definitely think that there was a lot of jealousy, you know, competition for attention. There was sus- suspicion that she was marrying for, for his money. And then his treatment of her son was a lot of projection. Yes, absolutely. You know, was, I, I hate your mom, so I, I'm going to hate you too. And then he yeah. started to see him as an actual person right. and his behavior changed. And, then, and, and, and a part of that too was he started, he started being nice to him mm-hmm. to get to her too. And then right. he saw him as a genuine person after right. that, after he got to know him. Um, Jesse Plemons, I mean, like, okay, let's just talk about uh, Jesse Plemons always been a good actor. Sure, I mean, you know, he he's serviceable and he does does a really good job. Um, Jesse, Plemons, Jesse Plemons low key is in everything that gets nominated for awards ever. It, he really is. He really I mean, is. it's it's pretty amazing. Even if like his performance might not be the most dynamic, like from from Breaking Bad to Judas and the Black Messiah to this, right? Yeah, and he's and he's good at it. I mean, he yeah. just he delivers a good performance. He does look like melted Matt Damon, but that's okay. Sure. Yeah. Uh, he was. I first saw him in Friday Night Lights, and I looked at him. I was like, "Oh, that kid's gonna have a rough, rough road to hoe, oh, man." God. What's what's the guy name of the guy from Goodfellas? The actor, the lead Which actor, one? the lead actor in Goodfellas. The oh, Ray Liotta. Ray, yeah, he look. Yeah, Jesse Plemons like legit looks like fat Ray Liotta. Hey, you have a good one. All right, Brittany. Yeah, have fun night, or have a good night. Raising your hand at me like I had somehow crossed the no. line. Like, like Ray Liotta's my uncle, you bastard. Ah, no, Ray Liotta t- started off as an amazing Ronnie, actor. Focus on me, not your friends in the in the podcast. It's, it's in, in the chat room. Um, I am focused on you, but here's the deal: Ray Liotta is a phenomenal actor, and he yeah. has just made uh, a, a mockery of himself with all the surgeries. Yeah, he really does. Look, he he looks like a melted chocolate bunny now. Yeah, he really does. And, and Jesse Plemons is getting there. Yeah. What just just by age, not by yeah. by the knife. Yeah. Um, but if you ever need evidence that that Benedict Cumberbatch can can act, mm-hmm. this is it. Sure. Oh my gosh, he well, he is. We, we tend to forget phenomenal. these things. We see these guys show up in movies that don't ask him to do much of anything. Yeah, like you know, he's not really asked of a lot a lot of in the Avengers movies. Well, no, no. But, I mean, like yeah. they, you know, they're 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 still. You can tell there's tell they're tell their phenomenal actors yeah, sure. from how they deliver a superhero performance, mm-hmm. you know, but you're right. I mean, like it's, it's, you know, he's, he's asked to do more in Dr. Strange in a solo movie uh, right. because it's Dr. Strange, you know, and he, you know, the, the hands, you know, he loses his hands in surgery and everything else. It's like, Oh wow. But even like, look at his voice and, um, and <sighs> uh, what do you call it? His motion capture work. And like mm-hmm. the, uh, the, the, the Hobbit. Schmaug. <laughs> Desolation or Devilation or Why? Why does everybody have to say it like this? It's because it, it started off as just like other people kind of throwing yeah. the SCH in there for no good reason, and then it just became a thing. So now it's the Desolation of Schmelgawa. Schmelgawa. 
Miss Mishmash with yogurt. That's his full name. But like his motion capture work, like you ever see like the behind the scenes stuff of him in the Hobbit? Like his motion capture. Oh man, he's into it, dude. Yeah, he's like throwing himself along the floor. I think that yeah, he just oh, he's just such a good actor that gets into everything that he does. I mean, like he and he and I mean, I hate to say it, but because they're both part of the same the same you know the MCU. Uh, but he and Tom Hiddleston are, are two of the finest actors of our age. And I really, yeah. truly believe that. And, um, but, uh, but I mean, like when I saw him in it, that's why I was like, done. I got to okay. watch it because I knew he would give an excellent performance. If anything. I, and then I saw Jesse Plemons. I was like, ah, melted ice cream. Let's do this. <laughs> subject matter aside, it doesn't seem like you, you disagree too much with the subject matter. I think it's, it, it seems like it was, <laughs> grist for the mill but it doesn't seem like you were necessarily struggling with it but i am wondering craft wise if there was anything you didn't like about this movie i mean i will i will tell you this this seems this is an ongoing complaint that i have to the point where i almost don't want to say it anymore but this this clocked in at oh uh, i can't oh over two hours two hours and 20 two hours 15 i think yeah, 126 minutes. So two yeah. hours six. Oh minutes. yeah, two hours six minutes. Okay. I don't know if it needed to be that long. I agree, but it did and it didn't. This is the mm-hmm. epitome of like a good artsy fartsy movie. Yeah. Lots of long shots, lots mm-hmm. of morning shots. You know, them riding in on from it's the very you know, from the sprawling. Field. It's yeah. very sprawling. Which I don't love. I don't necessarily love a good sprawling picture when 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 your narrative is so much more tightly focused. Yeah, I get that, but I, I'm a fan of the cinematography. Okay, so mm-hmm. one of my favorite westerns is Open Range. Okay, and it, and if Open Range doesn't live up to its name in some of the shots that they have, then then I'll you know I'll eat my hat. Right. Uh, but so I like when you look at westerns, I like the view of the openness. Okay. You know, if that's what they're going for, if it's cowboys and the range and cattle herds and stuff like that, I like. The long shots, the wide shots, the 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 aerials, the whole nine. Just you know, that's why I like mm-hmm. Yellowstone. Yellowstone shows it's a very sprawling, very wide shot show at, at times. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do like that in the cinematography. Um, whereas if it's like a gunslinger, you know, movie, it, you know, like we'll we'll look at Silverado. We looked at Silverado a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, Silverado has the best of both worlds. When you're in the gunshot, the gun the gunfights and stuff. You have the narrow alleys and narrow shots and the one, you know, the close-ups and everything. Mm-hmm. And when they're riding on the range, they have the long shots, the pullaways, you know, to show the horses and everything. So it's not as as wide and sprawling as this. Most movies aren't. So I get what you're saying. They could have cut mm-hmm. a few minutes out of it that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I kind of enjoyed the shot, you know, those those the the just the the views, I guess. Yeah. No, those wonderful vistas. Yeah. Um, I want to. We got to close up and move on. Of land, uh, huge. Um, but I, last thing I want to say, and then I'll give you the final word, and then we, sure. we got to move on to the next thing. Because um, you know these are designed to be short reviews, not an hour long yeah. thing. We got, we got two more. Two more. We got to get through. Oh, cop shop is not going to be very long. Yes, um, yeah. <laughs> boy, is that not a whole lot to say about that? <laughs> but um, my, my two favorite, my my favorite sequence in this entire movie is the dinner is the dinner party, because like, and one of them because oh, like yeah. I, because if nothing else, 
as much as I enjoy a meditation on masculinity, you know, and, you know, the subtext of, you know, of, of a gay man in a very masculine world and mm-hmm. what it does to one psyche, yeah, I certainly enjoyed all of that, you know, in terms of enjoying the film and what the film had to say. In terms of something that, like, personally resonated with me, the dinner party does, only because I've been that guy who's <laughs> like, hey, play the piano and yes my guests be social and i'm with a woman who's being an absolute pain in the ass about the whole thing right and embarrassing me like i was sweating on behalf of jesse Plemons. oh my gosh (laughs) i was anxiety inducing i was like the only other the only other uh cinematic dinner party that's ever made me that nervous is the one from the office Oh, I thought you were going to say dinner for schmucks. No, that one just, I laughed at, but the one mm-hmm. in the office still makes me cringe. Okay. You know, like, have you, have you watched the office? Not a single solitary oh, episode. Man. You've got to watch the dinner party and you'll understand mm-hmm. what I'm saying because, uh, uh, Michael, the main, you know, the boss and his, yeah. and his, uh, girlfriend are living together and they're fighting at the time that they invite all these people over for dinner and he shows off his his new flat screen TV, which is literally like a fourteen inch TV that he has mm-hmm. mounted to the wall that pulls out. It's yeah. like it's like an alarm uh, monitor. It's mm-hmm. so funny. So I, I cringed all through that, and that's the only other dinner party I've really like. Oh gosh, I want to fast forward through this, but I want to find out what happens. You know, kind of deal. And obviously different different cringe parts of it but i was like oh gosh man this is terrible because she just kept she i mean like how many times did she did she start the same song a a few yeah but that leads to the next my favorite scene of the entire movie where benedict cumberbatch is being a brat (laughs) and they're like you know like hey there's these and again i've been i've been that guy like not even like so much in that very same situation but just you, we were talking about this before the podcast started, not to, not to reveal too much of our personal no, no, lives, yeah. but yeah. <laughs> but I deal with a lot of people, a lot of different personalities, and yeah. not all of these personalities get along. And I'm just trying to produce good podcasts for for what it's worth, but it's I have to manage a lot of antagonistic personalities. Oh, and, yeah. <laughs> and I know I definitely. I, 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 Felt yeah. the way Jesse Plemons felt trying to get his brother to come downstairs and talk to the guests. And he's like, and he and his feeling and he's butthurt yeah. because in the scene prior to that, he like, hey, before you come to dinner, maybe wash a bit. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> right. Maybe not stink to high heaven. Yeah. And he's like, whatever. You know, and it, it, it was a little rascals moment. It was like, I got you know. Be, oh, sure. Now there's a girl here. I gotta wash my neck. Wa- yeah. yeah. Whatever. Wash I, my balls. I gotta. Oh, you're gonna make me clean up now that you know we let we let Darla and the the He Man Womanators Club. Yeah, I was like, yeah. well, I didn't know the print the the queen was here. <laughs> so he's like, I'm not. So I just won't come to dinner. Yeah. And, it, <laughs> and so, so, and so now Jesse Plemons needs him because his whole affair has just gone sideways. His wife's being an idiot, you know. And then, and then they're like, "We really came here to see Benedict Cumberbatch," and they're like in his room, you know. And they're in wherever his 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 cot is, <clears throat> and he's like, "Why don't you come down and talk to him?" He's like, "I can't because I stink." Yeah. <laughs> I laughed my ass off at that. I was I like, "Wow." <laughs> Why do I? Why do I imagine immediately when you said it like that? I, I can hear what's his head. You see the Affleck duck. Um, 
Oh, I can't remember his name. Everybody hates everybody in Japan hates him. Uh, Go on. But he was like, I can't because I stink. You know, kind of <laughs> one of those things. Yeah. But I, I just, I, oh gosh, I understand what you're saying because it was so funny because he's being such a little brat about it. Yeah, he really was. Oh. Like, like whatever sympathy you might have had for him, that's oh, see, like I don't lose window. my sympathy for him with like don't be a sissy or or any of the other stuff or like him like mentally torturing Kirsten Dunst. That's all fine. Yeah. The minute he was like, I'm not coming to dinner. I stink. <laughs> really? Really? <laughs> like, oh. Yeah. Like, and it's so funny because it's like he, here he is rejecting this aura of manliness, and right there he was a tiny child. He was. He was. All absolutely. that manliness just just dissipated. <laughs> I stink. I stink. I'm not going. I'm gonna eat a sandwich. So. Well, <laughs> <laughs> Oh so, my goodness! It's a great movie. Um, all right, uh, last word, and then uh, like two minutes, uh, fifty words or less, and then yeah. we're gonna get out of here. Uh, oh, me first. Uh, so yeah, I'm done. Yeah, okay, fifty words or less. Um, phenomenally shot, phenomenally acted movie. Mm. Uh, you could really, you know, the the portrayals that each of these actors, you know, that uh, the portrayals of the characters that each of the actors put on was just fantastic, even down to the extras. Um, you know, right off the bat, when when they walked into that restaurant where uh, Kirshenos was a was a waitress, I was like, "Yeah, he's a bad man." Mm-hmm. And then things went sideways on that. Uh, but uh, you know, the whole you know handkerchief scene. Yeah. But um, but it was like they went sideways. They went up and down. <laughs> yeah. Hang but, on. Uh, Hang on. Hold on. Oh, Pinkie Pie. Uh, <laughs> But the thing about it is, is like, you know, uh, agree, disagree, whatever, you know, beliefs, whatever. Um, you don't want to see anybody go through, you know, hardships like that. And, yeah. and then, and, you know, the characters, all of them go through some sort of hardship of losing, losing their brother, uh, not coming to terms with who they are really. And then mental abuse. I mean, that's all that is, is mental and physical, you know, mental and mental abuse and terrorism, you know, yeah. it, it, uh, so there's a lot of things that they touch on in, on this, and, and it's just it's wonderfully done, in my yep. opinion. Well, I'll tell you, uh, I think the movie is almost perfectly written, but maybe it could have been written just a little bit better, and you know what would have helped with that? I'm thinking Grammarly. You're thinking correctly. Yeah, but... For you listeners of Triple Feature, Grammarly is offering a free download of the Grammarly software. Grammarly's AI-powered products help people communicate more effectively. Grammarly helps you write mistake-free on Gmail, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and nearly anywhere else you write on the web. Grammarly corrects hundreds of grammar, punctuation, and spelling mistakes while also catching contextual errors, improving your vocabulary, and suggesting style improvements. So download Grammarly today. Go to getgrammarly.com slash W2M network. Again, that's getgrammarly.com slash W2M network to download Grammarly for free. Ronnie, I have a admission. I have a I want to confess to you, Father. Yes. What is that? I, I have a confession. Okay. I've only seen one Wes Anderson film. Oh, well, you know what I say about that. What do you say? You've seen one too many. <laughs> See, I wasn't sure where, where, where this was going to go. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I've i never seen Rushmore. I've never seen the Royal Tannenbaums. I've only seen The Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou. Mm-hmm. I've never seen uh, the, Dar- the Darjeeling Limited. Mr. Fantastic Mr. Fox, Moonrise Kingdom, 
the Grand Budapest Hotel, Isle of Dogs. Uh, now I've seen the French Dispatch, so that makes two. But yeah, so Wes Anderson... You've seen them all. <laughs> yeah, I, I get that. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, you know, I actually I thought you were going to react differently because, like, like who hasn't seen Rushmore and the Royal Tannenbaums? And I feel like, you know, for geeky film people, like, they all... Everyone sees those and everyone thinks Wes Anderson is just this master of film craft for these quirky <laughs> productions that he does. I'm going to tell you that, that, like, while I enjoyed the evening out with my friends spent watching The Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou, I did not get it. And I have not had an other than feeling like they're going to pull my film geek card. If I don't watch these movies, I don't have any desire to. And I literally only threw this in here because I'm sure this is going to get nominated for something. So we might as well talk about it. Yeah. Boy, have I discovered I'm not a Wes Anderson fan. Buddy, I'm so glad to hear you say that. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, for you know, lots of reasons. To be honest with you, uh, one, so that way, if you say you like it, I don't have to stop being your friend. Um, <laughs> two, I cannot stand Wes Anderson movies because I think they're the most pretentious pieces of film in Hollywood history. Never before the French Dispatch have I heard so many words said, or so many words spoken, and nothing being said. You know what I? You know what I kept having resonate in my brain over and over and over again as I watched Why would this? I do this to Ronnie? No. Oh, God, I don't think about that. Um, oh, thanks. You're welcome. Uh, no, I was like, instead of calling this the French Dispatch, it should have been called Narration the Movie. What the crap is that? <laughs> like, why does everybody have to narrate everything in this movie? And why was part of it animated? Did you when- ever see the, the Family Guy episode where they do the three directors and one of them is yes. Wes Anderson? Yes, it was brilliant. Yeah. Oh, so good. Because it was like it just it 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 said everything you ever wanted to say about a Wes Anderson movie, other than mm-hmm. you know, it freaking sucks. I'm I'm sorry. I mean, like if you're if you're on here and you're watching and you're like, Oh, I love Wes Anderson, what are you talking about? You don't like good movies. I'm sorry. See, and that's a, just my slight, opinion. I have a slightly different take. I think people think they're supposed to like Wes Anderson because yeah. they're snooty film people. And Wes right. Anderson is a snooty filmmaker. Who makes Absolutely. snooty films? So it's I, like, so if you're an elevated appreciator of the greater cinema, why wouldn't you like Wes Anderson? Except that he makes the same movie over and over and over again, right down to the color paletting. Like I looked at the color palette for the French uh, Dispatch, and I was like, wow. Other than the lack of water, this is the this is the the life aquatic with Steve. It life popped aquatic. up. It started. The movie started, and it and it and and the camera angle, and the the color palette. You see, just like you said, everything about it, the shot, the color, the the saturation, everything. I was like, this is the Budapest, the Grand Budapest Hotel. <laughs> the, what is? Did I did I just what what's happening right now? You know now? what? If he made dopey movies, everyone would get on his case. Because you know why? Adam Sandler. Adam yeah. Sandler makes the same movie over and over and over again. And everyone hates him for it. Like I he's want Wes Anderson just one time to see his spirit break. I want him to make a Hubie Halloween or something like that. <laughs> and I want every every production and company in Hollywood to go. Do you know what, Wes? Before you can make any more of your crappy movies, excuse me, artsy movies, we want you to make a slapstick Three Stooges comedy. That will absolutely break your spirit and make you weep at night. You know what I want? Now that you say that, here's what I want. I want to. I'm gonna. I'm gonna will this into the world because you know how like the neckbeards got on Chloe, <laughs> Chloe Zhao's case. Yes. You know, yes. About Eternals. 
because yes. she didn't make a Marvel movie. She made one of her artsy fartsy movies. Right. And they but they but she did it with their precious, you know, comics for five year olds. You mean the same guys that were saying we want something different? Yeah, those people. So you know how Chloe Zhao ruined everyone's childhood by making the Eternals? Yeah, the ones that nobody ever really actually read. Right. Yeah, the comics that nobody that nobody read. You read um, the, you didn't read you like if you said you read read Eternals, you didn't read them until you were in your twenties. Yeah, for sure. I want her to make Eternals too. I sorry. I want Wes Anderson. Sorry, let me try that joke again. I want Wes Anderson to make Eternals too. I think the I'm on board for like a ten film series of Eternals movies by artsy fartsy directors. Like oh. let's let's do Chloe Zhao. Let's do Wes Anderson. Who else? What other nutbag can we drag out of the woodwork? Um, He's already done a comic book movie, but I feel like uh, I feel like he would be be even worse now than what he was because of how insane he is. Uh, but uh, freaking uh, Tim Burton. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's have Tim Burton do a Marvel there. movie. Let's have yeah. him, you know, let's get uh, Edgar Wright. Let's get him back on board. Hey, now Edgar Wright can make a good comic. Edgar Wright can make a good movie, but like, you know, like you heard what happened with him and Ant-Man. Like let's, let's give him free reign to do Last Night in Soho. Presents po- Marvel. Po- oh, presents okay. Eternal. Point taken on that one. <laughs> that that's not fair. <laughs> that's not fair. You I used... hate the comic book community and everyone in it. Um, how's that? How's that sound? Anyway, no, I'm just saying. Last night in Soho is not fair. <laughs> um, I I want uh, I want a character. I want I want the Eternals to be in Last Night in Soho. That's what I want. <laughs> I literally, my I was watching it. I'll be honest with you. I put off watching this movie yeah. until right before this show. Okay. Because I knew I would forget everything about it. Yeah. I, 30, I, I, I had it minutes, on. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, you know, I was 30 minutes into it. My friend texts me and says, would you like to play Magic the Gathering Arena? Yes, I would. <laughs> So one screen was this was that movie. The other screen was Magic, and I'm sitting there playing cards with my buddy on, on you know on Arena, and I'm like trying. I was like, you know, doesn't matter that he has nothing to say through all these words. Yeah, it's all the same movie. I had I'll it on my fine. monitor while I was doing work on the computer, like pulling art for podcasts and stuff, yep. and prepping pages and whatever. And like I would, and I would like I would look away, and I would turn back, and I'm like, oh boobies, and I would look away, and I would turn back, and yo, what's up with that? Owen Wilson running a bike down the stairs. All right. What so was up with that? So it's an anthology movie, basically. Yeah. Um, there are there are three main segments of this movie in the in the storytelling devices that these are all stories in a gazette called the French Dispatch. So in the fictional French town of something French, author Howitzer Jr., the editor of the magazine. The French Dispatch. None of them had French accents. <laughs> Dies suddenly of a heart attack, according to None the wishes expressed in his will. Publication of the magazine is immediately suspended following one final farewell issue in which four articles are published along with an obituary. The cycling reporter, uh, Her- oh, Jesus Christ, Herb St. Sazerac delivers a cycling tour of the town of Enoy sur Blase, demonstrating several key areas such as the arcade, Lassan's blog, cafe, and a pickpockets alleyway. He compares the past and the present of each place, demonstrating how much and how yet how little has changed in Inuai over time. Okay, the only thing I remember about the cycle, the cycling reporter, was Owen Wilson's riding his bike down the subway stairs. Yep, that was dumb. 
<laughs> I enjoyed that. I, I, uh, I well, okay, yeah. I I lulled. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> well, that's no, I get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The concrete masterpiece. J.K.L. Berenson delivers a lecture at the art gallery of her former employer, Upshur Maw Clampett. So here's another problem I have with his movies. Nobody's named Steve. Right? <laughs> Everyone's got a Why weird name. Why is everybody name. weird, like, a bunch of freak beast names, man? Like, he, can, Wes Anderson can't write a script unless every word is three syllables long. It's awful. What did I tell you? I can't, uh, you know, all these words were said, but nothing, nothing was yeah. actually proclaimed in which he details the career of moses uh, rosenthaler rosenthaler a mentally disturbed artist serving a sentence in noi prison for murder paints an abstract nude portrait of simone a prison officer with whom he develops a burgeoning relationship julian Cadizio, an art dealer also serving a sentence for tax evasion is immediately taken by the painting and buys it despite rosenthaler's protest upon his release Cadazio convinces his family of the art exhibitors who put it on display, and Rosenthaler soon becomes a sensation in the art world. Privately, Rosenthaler struggles with inspiration and devotes himself to a long-term project. Three years later, Cadazio, his uncles, Clampett, Berenson, and a mob of artists inspired by Rosenthaler, all frustrated at the lack of further paintings, bribe their way into the prison to confront him, only to discover that his masterpiece is in fact a series of frescoes in the corner prison wall, in the concrete prison wall. Angered that the paintings are removable from the prison, Cadazio gets into a physical altercation with Rosenthaler, but soon comes to appreciate the paintings for what they are, and later arranges for the entire room to be airlifted out of the prison into a private museum in Kansas owned by Clampett. For his actions in halting a prison riot that breaks up during the reveal of the paintings, Rosenthaler is released on probation. Simone and Rosenthaler maintain a correspondence following his release. So, who is this again? Who? Uh... Benicio del Toro. I mean, he's a great actor. I, I, yeah, I will never forget his performance in The Usual Suspects. You know, oh, it was great. <laughs> that that line in the lineup. You know, give me the keys, you fucking. Ah, what the fuck? Yeah, he's just like, yeah. <laughs> he's so good in that. Yeah, he was um, okay in this. I so guess. What do you think of him as the grumpy painter? Uh, not much. I, I, I'll be honest with you, man. I you got a lot more out of this than I did. Okay. I, I like legitimately. I don't know what they said the entire time they were talking. <laughs> I have no clue what they said. Uh, yeah. Mainly, I mean, like you said, if if it's not a three syllable word, then he's not going to put it in there. And mm. like, it's not. I'm not stupid. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I I understand words. You know, <laughs> I understand okay. certain. Um, I, I, obviously it's not coming to me right now because I'm an idiot. Right. No, do you want to take, um, take a breath and I'll just finish reading the plot synopsis? Yeah, go for it. Like you have like a monologue you need to deliver. I do. Just, okay. So let's just get through this. Yeah. Um, revisions to a manifesto. Lucinda Cremens reports on a student protest breaking out in the streets of NOI that soon boils over into the chessboard revolution. While the revolution initially is inspired by petty concerns over access to the girls' dormitory, the traumatic military conscription of one student, Mitch Mitch, inspires greater uprising. Despite her insistence on maintaining journalistic neutrality, Cremens has a brief romance with Zephyrilli, a self-styled leader of the revolt, and secretly helps him write his manifesto and adds an appendix. Juliet, a fellow revolutionary, is unimpressed with his manifesto. After they briefly express their disagreement about its contents, Cremens tells the two to go make love, which they do, because who wouldn't, really? Yeah. A, few, a few weeks later, Zephyrilli 
is killed uh, attempting to attempting repairs on the tower of a revolutionary pirate radio station, and soon a photograph of his likeness becomes a symbol of the movement. Five years later, Kremens translates Mitch Mitch Simica's theatrical dramatization, dramatization of his conscription and Zeffirelli's death for a national playhouse production of his play at the downstairs No Block Theater. All right, and then the final one, the private dining room of the police commissioner. During a television interview, Roebuck Wright recounts the story of his attending a private dinner with the commissaire uh, of the NOI police force, prepared by legendary police officer chief Lieutenant Nescafier. Nescafier is a famous specialist in a kind of hot cuisine specifically designed to be eaten by working police officers. The dinner is disrupted when the commissaire's son, Gigi, is kidnapped and held for ransom by criminals, led by a failed musician labeled the chauffeur. <laughs> the kidnappers pre- represent the warring criminal syndicates of NOI sur Blase and demand the release of an underworld accountant, Albert, named the Abacus, who possesses their shared financial records. The Abacus is being held in a solitary confinement cell at the police headquarters. Wright recollects his own imprisonment in the same cell for his homosexuality for which he was bailed out by Howitzer and offered a job at the dispatch. Following a shootout at the kidnapper's hideout, Gigi manages to sneak out a message in Morse code to send the cook. Later, uh, Lieutenant Nescafier is sent into the kidnapper's hideout, ostensibly to provide both of them and Gigi with food, but secretly the food is laced with poison, like you do. The criminals also come to the poison, and Nescafier just barely survives after being made the test at first, but the chauffeur escapes with Gigi and leads the police on chase. Gigi manages to escape out the sunroof and reunites with his father. During his recovery, Nescafier saves the abacus from starving to death by preparing him an omelet, the prisoner having been totally forgotten in the commotion. Back at the dispatch office, Hawitcher tells Wright to reinsert a deleted segment. In it, recovering, Nescafier tells Wright the taste of the poison was unlike anything he'd ever eaten before, before they commiserate over the state of being foreigners in France. Howitzer and Wright disagree on whether this conversation is the heart of the piece. In an epilogue, the French dispatch staff mourn Howitzer's death, but set to work putting together a final issue to honor his memory. During the closing credits, there is a dedication to the following writers, many of whom wrote for The New Yorker. I'm not reading all that. All right, Ronnie. Um, I've kind of said all I need to say about the French dispatch. It is, this is one of those things where, again, if you are predisposed to liking Wes Anderson movies, this is a Wes Anderson movie you'll probably like. Other than that, I got nothing out of this movie. Go ahead. Okay, so in my in, in now, I'm not saying this is, is true of everybody. In in my history, in my findings and and travels through this world, I've found one of two people that would enjoy this movie. Mm-hmm. One who pretends to like Wes Anderson movies because it is the cool thing to do, <laughs> uh, you know, or they think it's cool, you know, like they're the the self proclaimed, uh, mo- you know, uh, movie critic, not movie critic. I'm sorry, that's what we are. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, movie producer, film. Oh no, okay, screenwriter. People mm-hmm. who say they're a screenwriter who have written their dopey little script that's based after this or something else. But you know, it has never really seen the light of day. But just because you've written put pen to paper doesn't mean you're a screenwriter. That means you may have written a script. Okay. So um, or it's the people that truly think they understand this, but really don't, because I don't think Wes Anderson wants anybody to understand what he has written. <laughs> um, 
these movies to me make no sense. They're supposed to be like smart comedies, but they're not funny to me. Uh, and I just don't understand them. And I don't know why these are so lauded and held on such a high pedestal. I think there is a segment of the community at large that desperately wants to feel and be perceived as smarter than they really are. And they're very keen on knowing what the smart things are. So if they say they like the smart things, no one's going to really question it because everyone la- everyone that doesn't pay attention to the smart things isn't going to question them about it. They're just going to say, I don't like those kinds of movies. Oh, you must be one of the smart people because you like the smart thing. But if you press on those people at all and be like, okay, so tell me what's going on in the life aquatic. What is Rush... Um, the Royal Tannenbaum's about what is you know what is this saying about the world? I've seen them all and I have no clue. And well, that's the thing is I I think those people collapse under the weight of it all. Like they you you can see them for who they really are, and that is people desperately trying for film cred that they don't actually have. I mean, it's not like I sit around and watch you know two chimps with leather helmets on smack each other with fish. Mm. I, I I like smart movies. I like things with a with a with a story. I like things with a moral. Or you know, um, a twist ending or anything like that. Mm-hmm. I like mostly and not Shyamalan's earlier work. Now his sure. later work is a little bit to be, you know, um, that has a. Ugh. But anyway, um, you know, there's there's stuff out there that I like that nobody else likes. I like indie film, man. You know, mm-hmm. um, but this stuff just doesn't. You know, this just doesn't tickle me in any certain way it just, I was saying, it, it, this, this just feels like what i like to refer to as a try hard yeah exactly this is like this is somebody looking at me and saying i've read every i've, I've read every page of the of the encyclopedia so i'm smarter than you right no that just means you're bored or boring <laughs> or both i'm okay. sorry so that's where i get uh, you have read the encyclopedia you are boring and bored yeah. that is how I, what i get from this movie Wes Anderson, there's a lot of style, there's a lot of sizzle, but I think deep down there's not a particular amount of stake. But I think we get we I think he gets away with it. All sizzle no stake because everybody thinks he's smart. Right. The majority of people are not watching his movies. And right. The, and the ones left over are the ones that gravitate towards him because that's the cool thing to like when you're a film person. Did Roger Ebert like this stuff? I don't know. I will tell you that here here's what I can tell you as far as critical acclaim and accolades go. I thought this was this would have more nominations for things. It's got a few, but like the the biggest thing was is that you it was uh, nominated for best original score for the Golden Globes. Besides that, it hasn't won a single award. It's been nominated for quite a few. It was nominated by the for the San Sebastian International Film Festival, uh, the Golden Frog, the Palme d'Or, uh, the HMMA, and then. Um, so it, it was nominated, but it won none of those. And then uh, it, I guess whenever the Satellite Awards are, um, it was nominated for Best Motion Picture Comedy or Musical, Best Art Direction, and Best Original Score. Um, it's got a 75% on Rotten Tomatoes. But again, this is this is like made for film critics. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think like he can he gets away with stuff like this because every studio... You know, this was put out. Who put this out? This was put out by Wes Anderson. Um, no, this was put out by Searchlight Pictures, which was a which was owned by Fox, which is now part of Disney. Wes Anderson, but Wes Anderson, Wes Anderson.com. Well, here's uh, the thing. I you know, 
So like I said, Searchlight Pictures specialized in these kind of art house kinds of movies. And now they're a division of Disney, which I don't think they care anymore. But like, whatever. You want to you want to make a movie about gay cowboys eating pudding and falling down a flight of stairs while on a bike? Well, you know. Well, well, you, just, well, you just take a good movie and a bad movie and put them together. <laughs> well, Javier Bardem you know, paints naked pictures of... Uh, what's her name? Um, damn it. <laughs> Who's the girl that he's sleeping with uh, in the Concrete Masterpiece? I have no clue. Oh, Leah Sadu. Oh. Yeah. She's hot, by the way. Attractive gal. Um, Anyway, you want to make that? You want to make your stupid movie? Go ahead. It'll make no money, and 20 minutes later, we can throw it on Hulu. (laughs) So true. It's just like... And and nerdy film people will watch it. (laughs) They bought an apartment building like a whole section and they're like you know all right this is where all the old people live and they keep it really nice and neat and everything mm. what's that over there that's the college side yeah we don't go there that much and they'll just check in every once in a while make sure nothing's burning down what is, what is this floor dedicated to bohemians they don't walk yeah exactly and they're bohemians. super pretentious the lens the, the the rent's always late yeah, but, well but because of them starbucks move next door exactly we have a starbucks oh okay well, I yeah. guess we'll let them stick around as right. long as they're not burnt. As long as they're not setting anything on yeah. fire, or within five minutes of of invert, in, inviting dirty hippie bohemians to live here, almost rent free, Starbucks, Sprouts, Whole Foods, all moved in. They don't have money to spend on rent, but by God, they'll go broke us at Whole Foods. Yeah. But anyway, um... <laughs> and that is why we have Wes Anderson movies. Uh... All right, I mean, are we done? Are we done with this? Is there any way we could put some Lysol in a can and start like, like you know, like not like not like spray Lysol, but like the bug spray can? Uh-huh. You, know? <laughs> you want to get them out? Fumigate the film industry? Yeah, <laughs> get rid of the Bohemians. God, all right. Look, I, can I get through one podcast without somebody suggesting murder or genocide? Please, I didn't say murder him. I just said make him scurry. Gotcha. Okay. <clears throat> I mean, you know, they've got they got like iPhones. They they can film each other on. So Ronnie. Yeah. Uh, so this film score got nominated for a Golden Globe. What do you think? What, about, what do you think about film scores? What do you think? I about like a lot of them better than movies? this one. Yeah. I love music and movies. You know who I didn't know could sing? Andrew Garfield. He has oh, yeah? a really good voice and and tick tick boom. Have you seen the review for tick tick? Have you seen the review for tick tick boom? Isn't he great? He's a revelation. He's amazing. He's absolutely and phenomenal. Is there anywhere I could find that that soundtrack? Well, there is at uh, Amazon Music Unlimited, and it just so happens, Ronnie, that you wouldn't even have to pay for it by Gadfrey. You. Oh my goodness! <laughs> we are giving away a free thirty day trial of the Amazon Music Unlimited. Soyvis with a poipus. Uh, get uh, if you click the link at, in our description of this podcast at getamazonmusic.com slash W2M network, you can have a free 30 days of the Amazon Music Unlimited service to download all the free uh, soundtracks and scores and musicals you like. And they have That's more than that. If you would like to listen to John Cougar Concentration Camp or Dying Not Fetus, a real band. <laughs> it is so. None of those are real bands. Or Dying Fetus, or no. Dr. Colossus, or Oakley Dokley, <laughs> or, or, or Max Sabbath, or the Cybertronic Spree, 
or Ailstorm or Rumahorn. Real, and I like I like Ailstorm. Uh, they're all there for you on Amazon Music Unlimited. The others are fake. None of those are fake. Those are all real bands. Um, have you heard of Hate Beak? No. So if you'd say something normal like Hate Breed, nope, Hate Beak, nope. They're a grind. They're, they're either like a death metal or a grindcore band, and they sing as a bird. <laughs> well, I broke Ronnie. Yep, I'm done. Whole um, third movie we got to do, and I'm done. I got to share with you Pat Gessner's TikTok because he does these band pitches, and that was one yeah. of them. He did oh. one for. He did one of all like the, these nutty different bands I just mentioned, and one of them was Hate Beak. It's so good, Ronnie. I played I played a few of them in the last Metal Hammer of Doom. I, I could not focus on the rest of the podcast. I was too busy playing his band bitches. Like, I really, like, can you come up with some of the craziest, like, you know, John Cougar, uh, John Cougar Concentration Camp and Hate Beak and Chitty Chitty Gang Bang and all this yes. other stuff. And, and I'm like, what is happening right now? <laughs> well, you got to find a band name that stands out. So anyway, um, so without you... <laughs> So now we've done these really artsy, you know, possibly award-winning, oh, nominated movies, and then we threw in Ron- we threw in one just to make Ronnie happy. What? I did not ask for this. You did. You were like one of the. I have to pick one of these, and I'm picking uh, Cop Shop. Well, you gave me the you gave me the option. Yeah. Of several, and I was like, "Listen, you've got me watching." What was before Licorice Pizza? It, we just did a one for one. It was like, oh, at one point it was Encounter. Encounter, that's right. Yeah. And I was okay with that. And then you're like, well, we got Encounter, Power of the Dog. I was like, let's just do Cop Shop, just to, you know, because it seems like an action movie, you know, kind of a palette. The cleanser. original pitch was Licorice Pizza, Encounter, Cop Shop. Yeah. And because you, you asked me, I was like, okay, let's do Cop Shop. Right. And you're like, all right. So, hey, can we switch Encounter for Licorice Pizza? And I said, nope. I said Encounter for Power of the Dog. Oh, that's right. Encounter for Power of the Dog. And I was like, yeah, absolutely. Um, and then Licorice Pizza. And I was like, oh, gosh, man. Licorice Pizza looks like awful. But I'll go see it for him. I'll go pay $10 at a theater to go see this because I love my friend Mark. I was hoping it was on PO- it's PVOD by now. Yeah. And <laughs> let's see. Let's, let, let, let's go get on the phone. You keep talking. So when I saw that it wasn't playing but about 30 to 45 minutes for me, I said, I love my friend Mark, but I'm not paying the gas and the, 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 <laughs> the money for the ticket to go see this. And I have no time to do it, actually, to be honest with you. That was the real reason. I just I just couldn't do it. Still not uh, available PVOD. Yeah, great. Um <laughs> I, and he said, All right, well, let's 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 watch uh uh, the French Dispatch, and I was like, "Okay, great. Maybe it's on Amazon. It is. It's it's five ninety nine. I'm like, well, still got to pay to get paid. Yeah, still got to pay to get kicked in the dick. <laughs> um, so, excuse my terminology. Then we get to Cop Shop. I'm like, all right, okay, Gerard Butler, Frank Grillo, let's kick some heads in. And then I woke up two hours later, and I said, <laughs> what what happened? Yeah, I don't know how this got the release that it got, and it didn't go immediately onto a streaming service. Like, this thing, the budget's not even listed. This screams Netflix. It really does. It it screams, like, forgettable. Throw it on Amazon. Yeah. But this was, uh, the production company was a bunch. Uh, The distributor was Open Road Films and STX International. 
Um, if you have more than three production companies or distributors, <laughs> you know, like produced by this, produced by this, you know, usually you have two or three, right? If mm. you have anywhere five or more, this was a terrible movie decision. <laughs> so the, one of the distributors is Open Road Films, which is a uh, a joint venture between AMC Theaters and Regal Entertainment. So this thing was like designed to be a feature in a movie theater. That's why they have it. And I don't, nobody went to go see this thing. The budget's not even listed. It has like a decent cast. Gerard, Gerard Butler's Butler. a good actor. I mean, he's a good yeah. action star. And Frank Grillo, for the love of God, Frank, choose better parts, better okay. movies. So this was directed by Joe Canahan. You know what else Joe Canahan directed? Smoke and Aces. What? The A-Team. Uh, the Gray. You're and previous to this, kidding me. No. And previous to this was Boss Level. Oh, my gosh. I, I mean, like, The Gray is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I really, really, I mean, despite what everybody says, man, I love Smoking Aces. Yeah. Uh, and uh, uh, why can't I remember the name that you just said? You know, Smoking Aces, The Gray, and what else? Boss Level. Bo- boss Level, but, but with the other one. There was four. The A-Team. The A-Team. Love the A-Team. I don't care what anybody says. I was an A-Team kid. This is not the A-Team of them, but you know what I mean. I love the A-Team yeah. just because it was silly. It was smart. It was, you know, you had Jessica Biel. You know, oh, my God. Uh, I, I So I, I dabbled with reviewing movies back then. Yeah. So, and that was at a time where YouTube only let you record up to 10 minutes. So yeah. somewhere in the world is a 10-minute review that I did of the A-Team. And I remember, like, the best part of that movie is them firing the tank and the woman just kind of like dead. It was Jessica Biel, deadpan going, they're flying a tank. They're flying a tank. There's, let's do Let's do a long road to ruin or something on that or, or whatever. Or, uh, what's it would a, be an on trial. On trial. That's what I said. <laughs> uh, long road to ruin is for franchises. I know these shows. Yeah. Um, uh, let's do an on trial one night. For, for A-Team? For A-Team. Yeah, man. Absolutely. I'm down. Um, but but the thing about it is, you've got all these movies that I've actually enjoyed for better or for worse, you know. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to really like this movie, it's got a good concept, but I just don't remember anything about it. Yeah, no, it this was completely forgettable. I was gonna say, this is definitely like we, we talk about, like, there is a slew of movies out there. Um, Whitney Seibold and I, my, you know, my new best friend, Whitney Seibold, um, <laughs> okay, I'm never gonna let that go. Uh, we're talking about how like people people seem to look down on movies that go like straight to streaming or you can only find streaming but streaming is the new you know is the, is the straight new straight to video that's the thing like if you remember before they were streaming there was the direct to video market but direct to videos were always of like poor quality not always though you always you right. can find gems you can find diamonds in the rough uh, uh, and, that's why, and that's why and that's, I feel this this is right. and that's the point that I'm getting to is like this is this absolutely screams like you know like high quality direct to video, and if you remember like you're around my age, you remember going into the video store and in between all of like the high quality um, wide release titles was a slew of movies you've never heard of before with yeah. actors you've seen before in like good like B level movies like that's. You know, how do you think I found Boondock Saints? Right. Well, I was literally in Best Buy, and I walked by, and I was like, I've never heard of that. It yeah, doesn't so look like it's ever been out in a the theater. I'm going to buy it. 
you, you know, we always tend to focus on like the same like three or four branded movies: Marvel, yeah. DC, Star Wars, whatever. You know, high franchises. You know, like that shitty one that nobody likes, like Ghostbusters. Um. <laughs> well, hang on. That My Little Pony is getting some is getting a workout tonight. <laughs> she said, "No." Oh. <laughs> anyway, um, my point being, Cop Shop is right in there. It, yeah. it is like a Saturday night. Go rent three movies from Blockbusters, and this would be one of them. And it's this just, is the one you fall asleep to at the end of the night. It's just for sure. All right, so let's get into it. Yeah. Um, because if I don't read the plot stuff, I really won't be able to tell you what happened in this movie. Amen. Uh, <laughs> con artist and fixer Teddy Moretto, who is played by Frank Grillo, is on the run in a stolen, unmarked police car, which breaks down not far from the Nevada, a Nevada casino. In the midst of a brawl outside the casino, Moreto sucker punches rookie police officer Valerie Young, who is played by Alexis Louder with Crowder, um, so that she will ja jail him and protect him from his pursuers. One of those pursuers, hitman Bob Vidic, who is played by Gerard Butler, gets himself incarcerated in the same small town jail by pretending to be drunk and crashing a car into a police car Moreto had abandoned, which was being investigated by two state troopers. Moreto and Vidic are placed in separate cells initially thwarting Vidic's plan to kill Moretto. However, Vidic has planted a small incendiary device, like you do, at the station's entrance, and when it ignites and the fire alarm goes off, he takes advantage of the confusion. Vidic beats a drunken man, sharing his cell, and inc incapacitates the police sergeant, stealing his gun. He is about to kill Moretto when Young interrupts him and returns him to his cell. Young, determined to find out the truth, finally gets Moretto to explain his story. He was working for a Nevada casino mob boss, like you do, and tried to buy off the state's attorney general, William Fenton. When Fenton didn't cooperate, he was brutally killed. It turned out he had recorded his conversations with Moretto. To save his own skin, Moretto agreed to work with the FBI, which led the, which led the mob boss to send hired killers after him. While Moretto and Vidic trade threats, a new killer enters the police station, Anthony Lamb, who is played by Toby Huss. Uh -huh. Um, a second hitman hired to kill Moreto. Entering the station with a bouquet of balloons as cover, he quickly murders several police officers. Young discovers the carnage and retreats behind bulletproof glass to the holding cells containing Moreto and Vidic. In a hail of bullets, one of the Young's own rounds ricochets and hits her in the abdomen. Corrupt police officer Huber, who has been stealing drugs for, from the evidence locker and has killed the sergeant during Lamb's shooting spree, reveals his betrayal to Young and joins forces with Lamb as they attempt to break through the wall of the holding cells. Moretto and Vidic appeal to Young for keys to their cells. Moretto manages to convince Young to hand him the keys with the promise that he will return with a medical kit for her to the dismay of Vidic. Young releases him to go after Huber and Lamb. Just as the two of Young's fellows officers are shot by Lamb, they catch him and Huber trying to break through the wall. Moretto arrives on the scene and attacks Lamb and Huber. In a steam-filled shower room, Lamb shoots Huber by mistake while himself being stalked by Moretto. Meanwhile, Vidic shows up, having finally convinced Young to release him too, stabs Lamb and offers Moretto the chance to kill Lamb and avenge the death of his ex and son. Moretto instead shoots both Vic and Lamb. <sighs> Moretto returns to the battered doors of the holding cells, seemingly to check on Young, but instead pours gasoline all over the room, intending to light the entire station on fire and the leave the scene, revealing his true nature. 
Just as Moretta was about to leave, he is confronted by Young, who has meanwhile attended to her gunshot wound. She threatens to put him back in his cell, but Moretta kicks a gasoline bottle and shoots it, lighting the place on fire. Young engages in an intense gunfight with Moretta and is finally about to shoot him when another corrupt cop uh, arrives and shoots her instead. Dina is promptly shot by Vidic, who then also shoots Moretta to complete his contract. Vidic then helps Young to safety outside while advising her to let it go and build a snowman and then escapes in a police car. While being taken away by ambulance, Young gets a radio dispatch about a stolen police vehicle from the station. She leaves the paramedics by the wayside, hijacks the ambulance, and drives off in pursuit of Vidic with, while both singing the same song. Ronnie Adams of the Misfits and Miscreants. What the hell, this movie? Yep, you said it all right there. <laughs> Stop trying with the twists and turns. Yeah. Don't how many this had this had more heel and face turns <laughs> than the entire eighties wrestling era. This was this was like how how it's amazing. This is quite an accomplishment. They somehow managed straightforward and convoluted at the same time. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. I I couldn't keep up with it to be honest with you. I was like, yeah. wait, 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 wait. Frank Frank Grill is a bad guy. Yeah, every time I looked up for my computer, somebody else was the bad guy. Yeah. And okay, first of all, unbelievable that they would let this young cop have a a single army action revolver as her side on as her as her service sidearm. Mm-hmm. It's a single shot that you have to, you know, if you want multiple shots, you have to fan the hammer on it. There is no law enforcement agency in this world that is actually going to let a young cop carry that as as a legit service sidearm. Because right. if you get into a gunfight and you forget to cock the hammer and try to pull the trigger, sucker ain't firing. You have to have a semi-automatic right. or a, a semi-automatic weapon or a revolver, a, a double action revolver, which you know thirty eights have gone the way of the cuckoo. When you get when you look at at, uh, at um, law enforcement firearms, they've got they carry nine millimeters or forty fives or forties, which are you know usually mostly Glocks. Mm-hmm. So I mean, like I get it, you're going for the cool aesthetic, and then she shoots the door and her ricochets and hits her in the side. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I gave up at that point. Yeah. I was like, how'd she get you? Oh, it ricocheted. Then they're like, oh, ricochet. Ah, come on. I thought I was wrong. You know, here's her bleeding out. So, yeah, this was... If you're like, I want to watch an action movie uh, with some actors that I like, you know, and I I don't want to really... You know how you always say when you come on here, like, I'm not looking for movies to change the world or, you know, like, I just want some passive entertainment... This is the very definition of a passive entertainment action movie. And I don't know if I can if I can actually call it that. <laughs> this is one that I'm like, if you want a passive entertainment, I don't even know if I can recommend this. <laughs> I would actually tell you to go watch Smoke and Aces mm-hmm. over top of this. If you want to or watch the something or the A team. <laughs> you want something stupid, loud guns and 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 oorah, go watch the A team, man. Yeah. Like, you know what this actually this is the last thing I'm gonna say on this, and then you can have the last word, and then we're done. 
this feels like somebody reaching beyond their grasp. Yeah. Like, I want to make an elevated action movie. Yes, but you're dumb as a brick. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you don't have the talent for that. Go back to flying a tank. This is very, the, this is very much the kid grade school going, and then the bad guy gets out. And then the bad guy's the good guy. Mm-hmm. And then the good guy's the bad guy. And then they switch spots again. And then the steam in the shower. And then the girl shoots the door and it shoots her back in the stomach. Like he just keeps adding on to it and adding on to it and it's adding like on that, to it. That Simpsons gimmick, you know, like, yeah. You know, Homer, uh, we, you know, what, what happened in this film? Oh, so you're saying the set, the CIA knew the FBI was setting up the DIA? Yeah, I mean, exactly. That's not what happened. Yeah, I know, but when I'm bored, I make up my own movie. Right, exactly. You know, and it's like Homer, you're you're watching Little Women, um, but <laughs> it was just you know, man, I, they, they, this was this was very much somebody trying to try to try too hard to make a, a an interesting overlapping you know story, yeah, um, in, in action, but just, just just guns, jail, shoot, the end. <laughs> Let's do that. Let's just do that. Let's stay there. Yeah. It has like a stage play aesthetic. Wow, you nailed that one. Yeah. Yes, it really does. And this is this is very much a high school stage play that the <laughs> sophomore kid in the beret and the black clothes mm-hmm. wrote. Yeah. Now that I've now that I said it out loud and you and you've countered, I it, it, this feels like when I was in college and I had to take like like and I took film school class I took film classes yeah I took like directing you know and screenwriting like this seems like somebody's first screenplay and somebody's like first directing gig yes like, they're doing for a school grade so like okay my my scream obsession goes way back to you know nineteen ninety six or seven when the first one came out mm-hmm. there was a kid and I say kid because I don't even think he was out of high school yet. That wanted to make a home movie, his own scream, uh, and I even remember the title of it. Now that I'm thinking about it, uh, his own scream sequel called "Scream Don't Fear the Reaper," okay. and for some reason it was set in West Virginia. Okay, and th- very much it was very much this. I was like, there, there's a lot going on here, buddy. There's a <laughs> lot going on here. Hey, maybe now are your focus. It's it's a it's maybe two killers, one knife, stab some people. Yeah, we don't need to bring you know the devil's night into this or you know <laughs> whatever. Come on, and then so, the dam broke, and then the dam broke, and then there's a snake in my boot, and you know, uh, man. well, Ronnie, you're a real trooper here. Hey, you only have one podcast left to do with me in February. Okay, we'll think of some more later on down the road, but I think I need a break after watching Wes Anderson. Now, yeah, now, now you got so the next time you see Ronnie, it'll be in a couple of weeks. You get to read a comic book called yeah. uh, Marry Me, and then we get to watch the Jennifer Lowe. And then you don't even have to go. Do you have Peacock? Do you have the cock in your house? <laughs> Do you have the cock? I have no? the Peacock TV streaming service. Good. Well, put your hands on your cock and put on God Marry Almighty. Me. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to tell you that you can watch Marry Me with your cock. Don't you understand? Going to headbutt a pencil in a minute. <laughs> Point up. I don't know why. I'm just trying to tell you that it's going to be day and date in theaters and on the cock. <laughs> Send help.
<laughs> suddenly this has become a hostage crisis. listen i am excited to watch that marry me i'm single so i'm desperately looking for a uh uh valentine date valentine's night date okay to get out of this no i'm kidding <laughs> Spend your Valentine's Day with me, Ronnie Adams. Yeah, it wouldn't be the first time. <laughs> to spend anyway. it with a big hairy man. What? <laughs> so listen. <laughs> um, speaking of the power of the dog. Yeah. Um, there we go. You don't have to pay for that, is my point. So the, the, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. And I don't know if you have a comicsology. Um I do. Yeah. Okay, I do. so I, I found it on there. Okay, so there you go. See, this next podcast won't cost you a dime. It'll be fantastic, and we'll have fun comparing the Marry Me comic to the Marry Me movie on the cock. <laughs> Oof. Yeah. Both of us are kind of grossed out now, aren't we? <laughs> um, anyway. A dog came down to comfort me just now. He's like, <laughs> he sees me distraught, and he's like, Put his paw on my lap. He's like, oh, buddy, I know. All right. Earlier today, uh, I re-aired a show that my wife and I did. Um, basically, I had a bunch of friends oh, telling me that the Big Bang Theory was nerd blackface. I got mad and decided to spend an hour um, defending the Big Bang Theory and making fun of people who hated it and told me As I should, should watch it. So listen to that. It's fun. Uh, also, at the time, my it was like a month after my my wife had given birth, so she was breastfeeding. There's some there, there, there's some off color humor about that in, on the show, and threat and, and threatenings of me being beaten. <laughs> so As it should enjoy. Have been. But funny story about that, real quick. Okay. So yeah, my wife is my wife is breastfeeding, not during the podcast, but she was breastfeeding at the time because my son had just been born. Like mm-hmm. he was like a month or two old. And um, I can't remember. And, and we had joking about something, so I was jokingly calling her like Milky, and, and I do it on the podcast. I do it on the podcast. She's mortified and stuff. Like, not, like I'm gonna and threatens to beat me, like you do. Yeah. And she played the podcast for now. That same son of mine is now going to be eight years old oh, and no. quite perceptive. And then my eleven year old daughter. And they're listening, and he was like, I don't get it. What are you guys talking about? And so that apparently sparked a conversation about breastfeeding. To which my son goes, and get this, Ronnie Adams. He was like, oh, well, if that's what those are for, and that's what we can do, then why don't we just solve world hunger with it? (laughs) I'm not even mad at him. I'm not even mad at him. (laughs) My son is absolutely brilliant. I hope he uses his powers for good. No, there's no way. (laughs) <laughs> he's determined to be an evil genius yeah yeah uh he's your son i mean Speak- like i give you all credit because he is he is very brilliant he's a smart kid so um, anyway speaking of evil geniuses myself and robert winfrey will review munich the edge of war uh but that's really just an excuse for us to do our 2021 year-end wrap-up so uh you get to hear us talk about all the money spider-man made uh wednesday night at 10 o'clock uh we will be reviewing the night flight orchestra aromantic 2 if I can get somebody to do a live stream of AEW Beach Break, I'm going to do that as well. But if nobody volunteers, then I'll just watch it and enjoy it. But um, no review on it. I have no time. Uh, Thursday is the Mania of WrestleMania. That is a loaded freaking show. Stuart Lang of 401 Mania, formerly 401 Mania, is going to be on the show. Pat Mullen, as always. Chris Bailey, more than likely, will be making his return. 
We're going to be doing WrestleManias 14, 15, and 16. And then Ronnie Adams will be back. Get a double dose of Ronnie this week. We're going to be talking the Wheel of Time. Yeah, yeah. No, it wasn't the last one. I forgot about Wheel of Time. Yeah, I forgot. Yeah, me too. Um, Friday night, Gavin Napier, who showed up in our comment section earlier today. Uh, we'll be doing a alternative commentary for the Royal Rumble 1992. Um, the video games trivia show that was just recorded will air on the 29th. And then me and the Podsman will be doing an alternative commentary for the Royal Rumble. Royal Rumble. The Rumble. All right. I got to pee, so go do your plugs, and I'll be right back. That was an amazing setup for that. Uh, hey, man, I have a Twitch channel that I'm actually streaming on right now. So if you're watching me on Twitch, go over to W2M Network and give them a follow on Twitch. And then you'll be able to keep up with all the podcasts and everything. You can also find them anywhere that you can download podcasts. Uh, but if you're on Misfits and Miscreants right now, what we do, what I love and what we have been doing is very recently, uh, is we have a live play, actual play, Dungeons & Dragons stream where we were going through Rhyme of the Frost Maiden. So it's so much fun right now. We had such a blast this last session, talking and laughing and carrying on. It was it was great. Uh, we uh, are going to come up with very uh, a bunch of other uh, tabletop role-playing game content, other card game-playing content. I was going to uh, uh, stream some Magic the Gathering this past Friday, but it, unfortunately it did not work out. Um, so I did not get to stream that, uh, but, uh, that will, there will be more of that in the future. As of right now, I cannot do anything other than play video games at night because I was exposed to COVID and I don't know if I have it yet or not, but so I've got to stay here, uh, unless I breathe the fiery death of COVID. Well, I shouldn't say it like that, but breathe COVID on everybody. Um, but, uh, which brings me to say this. I actually do online uh, D&D or other TTRPG uh, games. So you'll be seeing some of that in the future as well. Not because of COVID, but just because there are friends in different states that want to play, and we're going to uh, accommodate them uh, and get some uh, Discord service, you know, get some stuff like that on Discord going, uh, where you can see all of our lovely faces playing different games. And we'll have some board games, we'll have some card games and all that good stuff coming up. So please... If you haven't subscribed, or I mean, if you haven't followed, you don't have to subscribe. If you haven't followed, please follow. Come hang out with me uh, on the downtime. If we don't have a game going, you get to see my big dumb head either playing uh, video games or appearing on podcasts. Uh, so, yeah, uh, come follow me. All right. Thank you for joining us here on Triple Feature. I want to thank Ronnie Adams uh, for joining me on this. Uh, we'll get to do some fun ones in the future. We have Wheel of Time this week. We have Marry Me and then... Um, at some point in the future, we're doing an on-trial for Dick Tracy. And yeah. we, got, we got some stuff that Ronnie actually wants to do. And yes, Ronnie, I'm going to schedule the A-team for us at some point this summer. Please do, yes. I, I will so make that fun. happen for us. All right. Oh, one more thing. I'm going to GaryCon this uh, this March, the end of March. Okay. So I'll be doing some live streaming up there. GaryCon is a celebration of the life of Gary Gygax, the co-creator of Dungeons & Dragons. Lots of war gaming, lots of role-playing games, lots of card games, stuff like that. So keep keep your eye out for that. I apologize, didn't mean to get jump in there. Like no, that. you're fine. Um, you went last year, didn't you? I tried, but they canceled it. Oh, uh, because of COVID. But we did online. We did uh, Ethereal, is what they called it. Uh, GaryCon mm -hmm. uh, actually got to host some games, uh, and it, it went really well. 
but yeah, I, I get to actually be in person this year. Cool. All right, folks. Thanks for joining us here in Triple Feature. He's Ronnie. I'm Mark. Be well, be safe, and behave. <laughs> <laughs>